0: This is Greg Lazinski and you're listening to Baseball BBQ. The gods are here, babe, and Jackie, grab some sauce.
1: Music's podcast and you're listening to Jeff and Len on
2: Baseball and Barbecue, one of my favorite podcasts and I know it's one of yours too. The only problem is after I get done listening
3: to it, I'm hungry. All right guys, take it away.
2: Welcome to episode 107 of Baseball and BBQ. Of course, the BBQ stands for barbecue, and I'm here with my incredible co-host, Jeff Cohen.
3: Hi, and Jeff. I'm here with my co-host, the the, <laughs> <laughs> the incredible Leonard Aberman.
2: Uh, thank you, Jeff, for, for trying to... To think of a word. Yes. <laughs> you, There's you. so many different things you've called me that
3: when we're not on.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm
3: trying to think of something complimentary. but uh.
2: <laughs> I know it's difficult. Yes. Oh, Jeff, episode 107 is actually part two of two uh, wonderful episodes. So I guess uh, everyone who follows this show knows episode 105. We had on Greg Rempey the host of the Barbecue Central show, and, of course, Ron Bloomberg, former New York Yankee, author of um, The Captain and Me, On and Off the Field with Thurman Munson. Then we did episode 106, which was... David, our, David uh, Gil, Gil Hodges. Right. And that is, of course, part one, where we had on Ed Cranepool, Kevin Kernan, right, and... Michael Colant. Sam Maxwell of the Mexican podcast. Right. And on the next one, episode 108, after this, we're going to have two people. Don't give it away. I'm not going to say, but two wonderful people who will also give their arguments for why Gil Hodges should be in the hall of fame. But now this is episode 107. And I've been looking forward to this, to, to both parts of these, because We get guests on this show and they, they really, I I don't think we've ever had guests that have held back, but I think that, that these two interviews, as, as everyone has heard from just listening to the first parts, they really just, they bared their souls. They really told their, their wonderful stories. I think both interviews were inspirational.
3: Your, yeah, your opinions? Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. that Definitely, they're inspirational stories, some unique perspectives, and uh, we truly enjoyed having both, both of them on, on the show. Ron Bloomberg, of course, was
2: the first DH, but he real, he played on a Yankee team with the great Thurman Munson.
3: And among, among others. It was, that was a
2: great team. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And he was no slouch. No, <laughs> he's definitely not. Yeah. And, and then, you know, it, it kills me. I mean, it doesn't kill me. You get a guy, right? Who, how many skills should a person have? Okay. He he was a great athlete and now he's a great author. I mean, it's almost like it's not fair. It's like be good at one <laughs>
3: thing and that's it. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, so. <laughs> so why don't we get to it? Here's part two of our interview with great Rob Bloomberg.
4: You know, I know y'all watch the game, and the game of baseball has totally changed from the day that I played and what it is now, okay? And we all know that. You know, it's a game of home runs now. Strikeout of home runs. That's what it is. It's no first and third anymore. No bunny anymore. No, 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 you know, no sacrifice anymore. None of that anymore. No delay steals. They don't know what that is. If you told them, they'd be shocked. They have no idea what it is now. <laughs> But the game has totally changed. And now it's a computerized game where analytically the players are so focused on a, a computer and to tell them how to swing. And I always tell people, I always tell Marcus Town, who's a hitting coach with the Yankees, I said, and I'm down with Yankee Fantasy Camp with them every single year, and we're real close. And I said, Marcus, and he comes from the older school. Okay. I said, Oh, I I say maybe 12 years ago, uh, uh, Brian Cashman asked me, uh, would I like to uh, be a hitting coach? And he said, explain to me, Ron, how would you instruct hitting? I said, very simple for me. You're not going to hire me no matter what I tell you. You're going to see the ball, you're going to swing, you're going to hit it. That's how you hit a baseball. (laughs) You know, I can't tell people to do this and do this and do this. A brain doesn't have that much of a, a lapse. If you tell somebody you got to put your hands up, you got to put it down, you got to do this, you got to do that. If you're in a slump, Elston Howard was our hitting coach. He said, Go eat yourself another bagel. And go up in the hit. That's what that's what we did.
3: That was the, that's the what, Yogi Berra school of hitting. See the ball, hit the ball.
4: That's how you hit it, right? <laughs> yeah. Have you yeah. played stickball before? Sure. Have you played stickball before? Yes. Cool, okay, cool. when you play yeah. stickball, you just hit it, right? Uh-huh. That
0: is true. Do you, think up Do
4: you think? No. Okay, but if you're in the big leagues, you're going to say, hey, this is going to be different. I've got to think.
0: <laughs> it's not
4: anything. To think about that. It's not different. But it's different where you got to be mentally, you got to be prepared for each and every at-bat because the pitch is going to throw you totally different. If you get a, a base hit off of him, you think he's going to throw you the same pitch? No. You, you don't try to, I, I was never a guest hitter. And, you know, I was always a guy, if the ball's outside, hit the ball to, you know, left field. If the ball's inside, I'm going to take them deep. If the ball's over the plate, I'm going to try to hit them to uh, right center to center field. And, you know, I mean, if you try to pull an outside pitch, you go hit the ball to second base. And that's why the shift is so bad, because you got 12 guys that's playing right field, and, you know, it's like a bunch of three-year-old uh, soccer players, kids, soccer players out there just running out there trying to get the ball.
0: <laughs> and I
4: look out. at that, and I'm saying to myself, that's ugly. Yeah. I, I, I told that to Joe Madden. And Joe's a friend of mine. And I said, Joe, how in the world are you do that? He said, but it works. Like that? I said, yeah, but now all the teams are doing it, mm-hmm. and everybody crucifying you now because they think it's terrible. And, you know, I mean, it's it's bad. I mean, you got the – Third baseman's playing behind second base. You got the shortstop playing behind uh, second base. You got the right fielder's playing behind second base. And you got the center. I mean, you got all those people right there. How in the world can you get a ball past somebody? You get thrown out from the outfield. Down at Yankee Fantasy Camp, we tell them, you cannot throw anybody out from the outfield. (laughs) You cannot throw anybody out from the outfield. But these people, I mean, they try to hit home runs. And it doesn't work like that. Baseball is meant to hit the ball and to score more runs than the other team, not just to try to hit home runs and strike out 27 uh, times a game between both teams. I don't know if you like analytically. Uh, Analytical,
3: no, I, I like the old school, you know, get them on, get them over, get them in. You know, not no, the, you
4: want to watch them play baseball. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to watch them say, hey, it's an eighth inning. It's a three. You know, it's already been two home runs. Now it's the eighth inning. Now it's the 10th inning. Now we got to play a let's put let's play like Sunday softball. Yeah. uh, Put Somebody a second base and whoever scores. Hey, you got to score because first thing, if they knew how to bunt, you'll bunt the guy over the third base. Am I right? Absolutely. Okay. let's be honest. Let's be realistic now. But they don't bunt now because they don't know how to bunt. You watch it, no, no, no. You get somebody on second base. They try to get a base hit. You can't get a. Yeah, you know, hey, it's. You know, I mean, uh, it's 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 awful with man on second base with you know, in, in the last inning, and you know, it's like Sunday. You play Sunday men's league for your Benet uh, birth team or whatever you play, you know your synagogue team. Yeah, that's what you're doing. Exactly. That's terrible. I mean, I don't know if you like that or not, but Oh, No, that's oh, no, terrible.
3: no, no. No, I, the spy is the second, the, the ghost runner on second base, the seven inning double headers. That's all. Oh, that's that's but, just like not but, baseball you know, anymore.
4: You can't play. You can't run into a shortstop. You know, sliding into second base. Mm-hmm. You know, the greatest, uh, one of the greatest plays in baseball is breaking up a double play. Sure. But don't you love to watch a guy break up a double play?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. And
4: you know, I mean, of course. You know, you're not going to go out if the guy is uh, out in center field, the second baseman, the shortstop's in center field. You're not going to go after him out in center field. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, when we used to break up a double play, the guys up on 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 our team would be up on the top steps and give you a high five. Your manager would come up. Great job. Bloomie! Great job like that. You know, I mean, now you can't run into the catcher. You got to play that as like a first baseman. You got to you know, I couldn't not do it. I wasn't built to do that. I was never taught like that. I guess these guys are taught like this now, and and I don't like it. And I, I wish they would just go back to baseball. And you know, some games uh, I wish it was like a one-one game. And you know, you got your best pitcher in there. You got Cole. You got the Grom. You know, he, he let him pitch like seven innings or eight innings, and he still got some stuff. Let him pitch, you know, like that. I want to hit him. Exactly. Oh, now,
3: how would Thurman react to you know? Oh, five innings, he's out of the game, or 100 pitchers, he's out of the oh, game. No, no. How, would, be... how would Thurman deal deal with that?
4: Oh no, he'll be down at the Delicatesses with me eating. <laughs> now he wouldn't do that. No, no, no. The guys on our team, the Bronxu, those guys, no, nah. no, nah, they they couldn't do it. You you get Gossage and you get David. Well, you know, uh, Gossage and you get Gidry and Didri? Catfish and 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 all those guys and. You know, uh, hey, you pitch one pitch, you out. You know, now it's it's a special game. You know, I mean, after the first four innings, if you luckily go four innings, you you know, then you put a fifth inning guy, then you put a sixth inning guy. I
2: know, it's, it's Then terrible.
4: you put a seventh inning guy.
2: And you can't put the seventh inning guy in the sixth inning or oh. the seventh guy inning guy in the eighth inning. No, the seventh inning guy.
4: Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> and, and, and then what you do is. Now now these guys, now but the Yankees with Booney, now what he's doing, and Booney's a great guy. And he comes from a, a great thoroughbred of uh, a great – his family's a great thoroughbred, uh, a great baseball family. And, you know, he's, he's going nuts. That's why Girardi left because he couldn't take uh, – you know, he couldn't take these analytics. And as soon as you get to the ballpark, he can't make out the lineup cards because the lineup cards already made out before he even goes out to the ballpark because the analytics tells you who's the best hitter off of this pitcher.
3: Yeah.
4: Well, you know, you know uh, and, and the pitchers, you know, you got these pitchers pitching four or five innings and, you know, they want to come out. It's my time to go out. I want to go out, you know, like that. You know, you tell you, Bob Gibson, you tell Bob Gibson that, you tell Steve Carlton that you tell, you know, all these guys, uh, you, you're going to get taken out. These guys got paid. For the, for the innings that they pitch and winning ball games, these guys already got guaranteed contracts. They don't care if they win one game. And a lot of these guys don't care if they hit a buck 80 because they still know they got a three year you know, 90 million dollar deal.
2: But now Ron, you know you talk about the game changing and absolutely. but you actually and that, uh, anyone who doesn't know this, anyone that doesn't know that Ron Bloomberg was the first DH. Uh, please turn this off and uh, go, the game of go, go listen to something else. So, <laughs> screwed up the game. So screwed you, up the game. You were, well, it wasn't your decision, you know, no. don't take credit for it. But
4: I not, but I have to did. tell people because they don't know. Okay. What?
2: But you did change the game as the first DH and with the DH. Now there's people that would be fans of the game before that. And they would say, what the heck the, the pitchers not hitting? And somebody's coming in four times a game to just hit. Correct. So that's a change, and you know some people love it, some people don't. Fifty percent
4: of the I tell people fifty percent of people love it, fifty percent of people hate it, and but it's uh, okay. But the change has uh, progressed into a, uh, a really a, a fine position now, if you look at it, because when I became the first DH in '73, I had no idea this was going to be in existence. Now it's been in existence for 48 years, okay? Now the National League can't, you know, even if you don't like it, they have to adopt it because it's 48 years. How in the world can they adopt a rule that, you know, you got two seven inning games, okay? How in the world can they adopt a rule that you can't slide in the second base? How in the world can they adopt all these uh, uh, rules out there, you know, I mean, without having a universal DH? And, but now it's, it's a position player now. Be, by why it is because Edgar Martinez made the, the Hall of Fame.
1: Mm-hmm. Now
4: he became uh, it's, it became credible. The DH became a credible position, and David Ortega is going to be eventually be the DH. And you know, and it's it's been good for the game of baseball because let's be honest, the pitchers stink. You know, you <laughs> might get maybe one or two percent of the pitchers could hit. You got Bumgarner Gardner, to hit. You got the Gromka, you know, because they used to be position players, but you know, you got little league, you got a DH, you got high school baseball, you got a DH, you got college baseball DH, you got the majority of uh, uh, minor league baseballs a DH. So I mean, uh, these pitchers have no idea how to hit. They don't even know how to bunt. No,
3: if you go out exactly. to the
4: ball game, if you go out to the ball game and watch these guys, the pitchers take batting practice. They bunt twice. And try to hit home runs. That's all they do. That's all they do. Maybe you might see a dozen good bunts maybe during the whole season. Have you seen a good bunt this year?
3: No, no, I have not. <laughs> I haven't seen them in the last couple of years. I okay, I mean, a good, good bunt. I
4: mean, I'm not saying I'll bunt back to the pitcher and the No, no. no. The second I mean, base or first base. I can't I mean, believe they're, they're not really bunting. Bun.
3: I can't believe they're not bunting when their shift is on. There's no way covering third and not bunting.
4: I have no idea. I, have no, I, I couldn't tell you. It's the dumbest thing in the world. Because the name of the game, I tell people, it's the score runs. Okay? And that's why the Yankees were so good in 77, 76, 77. When you have a Mickey Rivers, who's going to get on base, you know, three out of t- – you know, I mean, he's going to get on base a lot. And then you had Thurman. Thurman batted second a lot. And th- old Willie Randolph used to hit second. And then it's always a first and third. And when you're first and third in the, in the bottom of the first inning – You have a real good chance of scoring a run, and when you're winning one nothing, now you're going to uh, 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 the game of baseball becomes different. It uh, you know people think you're just going out catching a ball, throwing it, and what it's 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 a good baseball game. Is a real uh, it's a mind game. It's a thinking game because a hitter has to know, you know, if he gets up two innings after the last out, he's going to be up two innings. And the score is five to three you know we're losing you know you, you got to figure out okay i got to get on base i got to look at a certain pitch i got to get on base who's going to hit behind me you know i mean it's it's a lot of thinking people just think you're going to just throw up a ball people think the pitchers just throw up the ball and the good pitchers they they pitch you in and out up and in and and you know i mean the good pitchers mm-hmm. and you you watch the De, Degrom. you watch him pitch. He's a masterful pitcher. You watch Garrett Cole pitch. You watch Tom Seaver pitch. You watch John Matlack pitch. Or you watch Kuzi pitch. You know, I mean, you watch all these guys. You watch Catfish and Gidry. You know, but they know how to pitch. They're not just going. You know, just have the catcher just hey, I'm just going to throw you and let the pitch hit or hit. No, they, it, it's 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 a mind game out there. They're going to make you think, and you got to make the pitchers think. So you know that's what's so good about the game of baseball, and that's a game I love. I hope I'm not talking too much. Am I talking? No, much? Are you
3: kidding me? Great. <laughs> I did want to come back to Thurman for a second. You because you mentioned Fisk and Bench and Thurman, it's the three great catches of that. Yeah, game. sure. Oh, yeah. Why was there such? Why did Fisk and, and Munson have such animosity toward each other? I mean, you said they really hated each other, but but why? They, they really wanted, hated.
4: Yeah, we hated the Red Sox. They hated us. You know, because of the Bill Lee. Greg Nettles and, mm-hmm. you know, the fights that we had up in Fenway and Fisk and Thurman, because Fist would always say up in the Boston paper that he was the best catcher in the American League. Uh, he's the best one, uh, the best catcher in baseball. And Thurman would never say any of that stuff. And, you know, and people will laugh at Fist because Fisk was, he, he was, his longevity in the game of baseball was outstanding. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he was up there, you know, maybe 20 years, maybe a little bit more than 20 years. And if Thurman was the same way, Thurman would have got it. You know, I mean, Thurman, Thurman was a better leader. I would tell you right now. Fifth was, he played longer, hit a lot of home runs in Fenway Park, where, you know, I mean, where you you, you had the green monster out there. And, you know, I mean, when it's, let's, let's be honest. Thurman came up and had to... Catch in New York, and when you catch in New York, it's a lot different than catching in Boston. Okay, you got two or three papers in Boston. You got two hundred papers in New York. If you have a bad game, you're gonna be in the papers of every paper in uh, uh, the Northeast. You're gonna get headlines, and you're gonna get back of the paper. Up in Boston, you know, you 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 might get a pretty good write up if you know if you did bad or nothing like New York. New York is just it's pressure. You know, it takes a certain ball player to be able to play up in New York, Mm. you know, and you see that and you know that. And here's a prime example of them. I hope I didn't have to look at, but I'm looking at it more and more and more. I'm looking at Gary Sanchez and, you know, here's a guy that's struggling. This is his third year. And, you know, I mean, he's gone from being the fair child, you know, the what you call it, you know, where, you know, the, the team loves him. Now he's not in the doghouse, but, you know, he's not, he has not improved. And, you know, number one, he hasn't improved in hitting and he should be a great hitter. And he really does. He really, I'm just telling you, he really has the tools because he, he hits with power and that's all he does. He home runs now and he doesn't uh, get on base much. Uh, his arm is probably one of the finest arms as a catcher in baseball. He has it all other then I don't know how he takes – I think he takes his field, his catching, and he – you know, I I think he takes his hitting a little bit too much behind the – because, you know, he has a very big position back there where he has to uh, keep these pitchers in line. And that's not easy to do, really, because each and every pitcher has a different pitch, a different set of pitches, and a different type of – what can I say, you know, his, his makeup, his makeup is different. Every picture is different. Some guys you have to kick in the butt. Some guys you have to uh, laugh at. Sometimes you got to really, you know, baby him, but you, you got to know that. And I don't think he knows how to do that. And, and that's why the pitchers are really uh, trying to stay away from him as much as possible. And I uh, hope he comes out of it. He has the ability to come out of it. And I hope he does. If he does, you know, I mean, the team's going to be real good. But if it doesn't, I mean, they're going to struggle a little bit.
3: You know, you talk about in the book, off the field with Thurman, your love of food, your love of music. The person that you uh, named a Nat yeah,
4: Yes, on Brunswick Records.
3: Right. And his influence uh, on you and Thurman and how he really, you know, took to you guys. And, and could you kind of explain how that all came about?
4: Well, you know, it's very, very simple. You know, he, he came from Detroit. He bought a uh, record company called Brunswick Records. It was a real big. He had the Shawlites. He, uh, he had Jackie oh Wilson. He had Louis Armstrong, Lano Hampton. He had Soupy Sills. He had all those guys. He had all those guys. And, you know, his whole life, he came from Detroit. Uh, his family wanted him to be a rabbi from Detroit to New York. In record business, all of a sudden, a Jew comes to New York. In his life, he wanted to be a baseball player. His life, he wanted to be a baseball player, and we became friends. Not he—he he, he was one of the greatest human beings you have ever, ever met. Uh, he had a lot of influence on us. He was a great man. You know, he comes from a different type of industry. The record industry is a little bit uh, a shady industry, and. And, you know, when uh, the uh, Yankees did not want Thurman and I to be involved with him because of, you know, we never saw anything happen. You know, I mean, hey, you know, I, we knew things were happening, but we didn't see. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. We, we didn't yes. see any of that stuff. We were not involved in any of that stuff. We played baseball, went out to dinner, had a good time, and that's all we did. And we talked baseball and, you know, I mean, it was great. It was wonderful. And we became dear, dear friends. And uh, I became friends with him first. He wanted to, the first year, he wanted to have a Ron Bloomberg day. I said, you can't do that. I mean, hey, I just came up. you you got these veterans who've been up there 10 years. What, I'm going to come up there for 30 days? and you going to have a day for me? I said, you Your can't do that. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. No, no, that, that yeah, bobblehead. You know I mean? Uh, they probably would have had, I would have had, a, I hate to see what it looked like, you know, but uh, but, uh but, unfor- but they didn't have that. And uh, we became very, very close. And, uh, and we did so many things. We, we played baseball. We're so proud to wear the Yankee pinstripes. So proud with the Yankee fans or the best fans. Or not the Yankee fans, the New York fans. The New York fans or the Met fans or the Yankee fans. They're the best of the best. They're the best. And I would tell you right now, we became very, very much involved, and then uh, we became major involved uh, during the off season, where we did a lot of stuff. Because people always thought that Thurman was a grump. He was a grump. He was tough. He hated writers. But off the field, he was the best of the best. He was a wonderful family man, and we did so many from Jerry Lewis to the Shriners Telethon. We did so many. We did so many things together, and. We're brothers. And, you know, and that's the type of life that we both live together.
3: Thurman uh, was, had a soft heart. You he were talking about signing autographs for kids. And, and it, it's just so nice to, to read that he was really soft hearted off the field.
4: Oh, he was wonderful. Yeah. I mean, he, oh, absolutely. But when he was on the field, this was his. Uh, uh, he was in battle. He was our George Patton. He was our guy that we would uh, uh, die. You know, this is a guy that would lead us, and that's what he did. But off the field, he was the greatest family man in the whole world. And people didn't realize that. People you always looked at him because they always read the paper. This guy, this writer hated this guy. You had a Dick Young. You had a Mori Allen. You had a Phil Pepe. uh, You had a Red Foley. You had all these guys, but they're basically our beat writers. And so they understood Thurman. But see, I was like three uh, uh, lockers away from Thurman. And then you had, you know, Bobby Mercer was two lockers away from uh, Thurman. But when you saw a rookie uh, reporter come over, you know, this guy's going to be he's going to be eaten up and thrown away, you know, <laughs> and we always have to watch it because as soon as, you know, these young guys, they got the, you know, tablets and they stuff and stuff and then they ask a, a silly question that Thurman's already answered before and like that. He would get up. He would throw that uh, his chair down. His chair would crack like that. And these guys, they'll walk out. They're scared to death. But that's who he was. And that that's one of the reasons why he wasn't uh, voted. And, and Well, that's one of the reasons why he didn't have a high vote rate into the Hall of Fame because the writers did not like him. That's all. And that's what I'm trying to do everything up as I can to get the uh, writers that or now, and get the veteran committee to see actually what type of guy he was, because a lot of people on the veteran, veteran committee and the writers, of course, never seen him play, and they always heard this is his reputation. But if they knew this, if, if we sold thousands and thousands of books already, and we really have after like thirty days, sixty days, the books is, is going crazy. It's, but it's it's it's. I'm doing everything I possibly can to get him elected into the Hall
2: of Fame. Jeff, let's take it upon ourselves to do that as well, because he he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame.
4: He deserves it. He really
3: deserves it. You know what? Great player, great statistics, but you know what? The intangibles. The intangibles should put it. right. A great leader. I mean, a leader of men, a leader of this this great Yankee team, which all these different personalities, Mm -hmm. I mean, let's face it, reggie and greg nettles and you know you have to deal with george steinbrenner and billy martin i mean all those guys and and he he with the glue he held that team together as the leader
4: yeah you know and not many people could, could do that believe me especially up in new york and you're having george as a owner and you gotta listen to him every single day and then you gotta listen to billy every single day and then you got teammates that are fighting every single day. You know, I mean, it's, this is not an, it was not an. that's why they call this the Bronx Zoo. I mean, you probably read Sparky's book. Sure, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's the way that the Yankees were. And, uh, um, and that's why the Bronx Zoo was a Bronx Zoo because, uh, you know, and Thurman, you know, held it together. And that's why we had that two great years.
3: Three great years. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, Ron, the first chapter in your book, it really caught me. I, I love the story when you're talking about the deviled eggs.
4: I like the deviled <laughs> eggs. Oh, yeah. I mean, that really brought me into this book. I mean, this is a great oh, yeah. story. Yeah, I was hungry. <laughs> I was a D.H. And then you asked me about the position D.H. It was wonderful for me because I get to go up, sit in my locker, eat the deviled eggs and then go taking it back. That was wonderful. I love that. <laughs> And then what? Thurman found out I ate three quarters of the eggs and he came over and took the rest of the eggs and uh, locked it in his locker. <laughs> right. <laughs> and nobody else had the devil eggs. That's one thing that Vince could do. The clubhouse guy, he could cook some devil eggs and kabasi. Uh-huh. But I wanted some kabasi too, but he wouldn't let me have it. Yeah. He wouldn't let me have it. <laughs> but we had such a great time. You know, hey, hey it's, 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 it's great to talk to people like yourself and and you know you know baseball and you know your food and you know your barbecues and you
2: know I mean it's it's fun. And we're fans. Yeah, we're big fans of the game. That's sure. and and this book again is just an intimate look at a, people, a relationship, the different people that you dealt with. I mean, it's just it's it's a really a beautiful book, so well written. Oh,
4: thank you very much. Yeah, it's, it's a yeah. I know you book. did
2: it. Yeah, and I know you did it with Dan, with Dan Epstein. And, I gave uh, him
4: stories just like you and I've been talking. You know, right. I mean, this guy just think we, you and I, we've been talking an hour or so, or whatever, and just mm-hmm. think that what I did with Dan, you know, we did this for a year, and you know, all the stories that I gave him.
2: He's you very know, lucky. Gave,
4: uh, you know, I Dan's had a lot of stories. very lucky. That, yeah, you know, I I had guy, you know, I had, but nobody ever knew about, and you know, nobody ever knew about. Thurman, what type of guy he was off the field and what type of human being he was. Everybody knew he was grumpy and, you know, dirty. And, you know, I mean, uh, uh, slash your face if he had an opportunity. But that's the type of guy he was.
3: And he loved his matzo ball soup.
4: Oh, he does like me. (laughs) Believe me, I do too.
3: And you loved your all-you-can-eat
2: places too. Oh, absolutely. uh, And I I love all-you-can-eat places also. Yeah,
4: you're making $3 (laughs) a, a, a day. And, hey, you got to make it last, don't you? The, yeah, were you were but they you asked band? you
3: not to come back, yeah, though, weren't, you banned from, weren't you banned from the restaurant because of all yeah, you? Yeah, after mean? about four
4: or five times. It was myself. Roy White used to eat a lot, too. But Thurman used to eat pretty good. Uh-huh. Thurman used to eat pretty good. And then we had, let me see, who else? Ellie Ellie was a, always a big eater. Howard. Elson was always a big eater. But he never wanted to pay for his meal. We always wanted, had to pay for his meal because every time – His check came. He was always in the bathroom. Right, (laughs) we have to pay for it. But hey, that's okay. We hey, we it was a family, and you know even to this day we didn't make much money, but it was a family even to this day, that you know all our friends like uh, Mickey Rivers, who's one of my closest friends, probably is my closest friends on the Yankees, and and then you had Mike Torres, and you know you had all those guys and. You know, I mean, it's, it's wonderful. And now, you know, I mean, you look at all the people, unfortunately that passed away and, you know, you look at it like a catfish and, you know, people like that and Oscar gamble and it kills you. It really kills you because we're brothers and, you know, and, and we live together, you know, this is not like, you know, you're taking a road trip for three days and then come back after two weeks. I mean, we lived with these guys almost like 360 days a, a year, for yeah. years you know Ron,
3: before we let you go i wanted to ask you about one of the most underrated yankees and, and he's one of my favorite players and that's Roy white and you just mentioned him he was just a wonderful yankee and he should actually have a a plaque out there in in monument park they should have you know do something for him oh
4: I, I i totally agree heba his name is in in our language is heba Ask me how I know Fritz Peterson got that name for him, And Fritz is so goofy anyway, so I don't know what he even means. But we've been calling him that for 40 years. But, uh, oh, absolutely. Roy was a reliable, you know, who we I never saw play was Tommy Hendricks. Uh, and they used to call him old reliable. Okay. Roy White was old reliable. Roy was never fancy. Always played, uh, always played when he was injured. Always played left field. Always did well in a game majority of the time. Always was involved in some type of scoring or defensive play. He was, you know, I mean, there was there's always somebody, always somebody that gets left out, and Roy unfortunately has been left out. And there was two guys who I think, to be honest with you, they should have been uh, managers, Roy White and Chris Shambliss. Mm-hmm. And I think two of those guys right there, they should have been managers of uh, a major league team. And, you know, Roy uh, and Chris, you know, they worked for the Yankees. They did extremely well, but they never had the opportunity to be a manager. And I think they should have become the manager, to be honest with you. I think Roy would have been a great manager. I think Chris would have been a great manager and they knew baseball. People love them. They respect them. They, you know, I see them all the time. I see Roy all the time. I speak to Roy about four times a week. And I, Chris lives about four or five miles away from me in Atlanta. And because of the virus, you know, we haven't done too much. And, you know, I spoke to him, got him on my zoom uh, probably about six weeks ago and he's doing great, and, you know, he's a wonderful, wonderful – he's a gentle giant. That's what we called uh, 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 Chris, and that's what he was. He was mm-hmm. a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful man.
3: Yep. Ron, we, you know, you have a great place in, in your Yankee history. I know you didn't play all that long for the team, and you have done, unfortunately had a lot of injuries, but you really hold – you know, people really love Ron Bloomberg here in New York, and you, well, yeah, you should know that. And I do, I do, you do know
4: that. Well, it's my parents always brought me up. If I give back to people, people give back to me. I always look at the fans or the heroes. I just lived a fantasy. I put the Yankee uniform on. I got out. I got to play. Uh, the fans cheered me or they booed me. And, you know, if I did bad, they booed me. If I uh, did well, they cheered me louder. And But I always was a person when I was growing up, Always uh, had re- respect for my parents. That you the autographs for kids. You know, it's it's gotten out of hand now. These guys are making so much money now. They got their entourages are with them. You know, they can't be. You know, I mean, you want to get close to them. They got five guys. You know, you got the president or the vice president. You can't get around anybody. And it shouldn't be like that because the fans like yourself. Y- y'all are the ones that make the game of baseball. And, you know, and I respect that. Y'all know baseball. You understand it. The majority of the baseball fans up in New York, the majority of them, they still keep their uh, scorebook, scorecard. Uh, I don't know if y'all do, if y'all go to games. Sure. You, you do. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of these other stadiums do not do that. The people in New York, even though that, you know, things are tough now, eventually it's going to get back better because of who y'all really are and how strong y'all really are and that's what makes the game of baseball so good uh, you know and playing up in new york because y'all know the game of baseball and you can't fool like if you're in kansas city or detroit you might be able to fool like three quarters of the fans but you can't you can't control you, you can't fool the 100 year old lady who's right <laughs> filling out that scorebook and right off the bat this guy shouldn't have done that this guy. This guy was—he didn't run down the first base, and you know, like Robinson Cano wasn't running down the first base uh, uh, hard. And you, you get John Sterling, and then you got uh, sixty thousand people in the stadium. Then you got twenty million people on, you know, the Yes Network, and you know all these other, you know, MLB, and they'll talk about it. So I mean, hey, but the game of baseball is still wonderful. Fans like y'all are the people that make the game extremely well. Y'all know the game. You enjoy the game. Talking to people like yourself is great. You know, it's it's, it's fun because y'all know the game. Myself doing this, usually I'm physically tired. Now I'm mentally tired because I do so many of these things. And that's a very tiring thing. And, you know, uh, I work out every single day at ten after four every morning. I'm in the gym at ten after four every morning, every morning, every morning, and uh, we could do that down here. So I do that, and uh, I got a routine. It's not easy. It's not easy to not to be able to fly up to New York and to be part of the team and to be part of the ten thousand people that come to a game. But uh, eventually, it's going to come back, and hopefully, we'll have an O'Connell's Day. In the near future, and hopefully, maybe the Mets and the Yankees could play in you know, old Thomas Day against each other. There that would go. be fun, that, wouldn't it?
3: That would be fun. That
2: would be fun. You, you know what, Ron? Would yeah. would also you you know we we do this out of the love of the game, sure. Um, and being able to talk to you is we always say we're fans first, and being able to talk to you is is an absolute honor. And
4: well it's an honor for me to talk to y'all because you Thank know you. i did something what i wanted to do and y'all you, know, y- you. you know you you're doing something that you you enjoy now and you know it's fun to talk to other ball players and feel like what and, you know react and you know and uh to see this and you know and i hope i've been you know halfway decent for y'all to, oh, to y- y'all wonderful. enjoy this you
3: so enjoyable you know oh, and, uh, so enjoyable And to you know, so enjoyed
4: enjoy this and absolutely well you know i really appreciate that and you know it's it's wonderful to talk to you because when Thank i saw you. the barbecue i knew right off the bat we would to hit it off you know so
2: absolutely so I knew
4: and, it right off
2: and it. ron great book the captain and me on and off the field with thurman munson and i hope that when things this pandemic is you know over and you're in new york and we, we get can to move you. around would love to meet you absolutely you know really oh, would. I would
4: love to do that Yes. I would love to do that, and you know yeah. I'm up in the city all the time. Anything you need from me, well you know
2: what, Ron? And, and, you really are a I man of my heart I because I I have chocolate cake. Well, but I had I had leftover ribs for dinner tonight that I had made, and now I'm going to have Ooh. some chocolate cake after we're done. So you and I were like kindred spirits. <laughs>
4: Oh, that's how, hey, we are Mitch Booker's now, right?
2: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yes, we We are. are.
4: That's what I learned. That's what I learned. We are Mitch Booker's. We are friends. Anything you need from me, please don't hesitate to contact me, please. Thank you. Thank you, man. It's wonderful. Hey, it's wonderful to talk to y'all. And like I said before, thank y'all very much to be fans. And it it was wonderful to talk to y'all. And like I said, anything you need, I'm here for you.
3: Thank you Thank Ron you ep- much, This Ron. is so special. Enjoy the rest of your night. Have you have you putting a, a cobbler and uh, best best you know stay healthy.
4: Thank you all very much. Y'all too. Love y'all now. Mitch Booker's. We'll <laughs> I love to y'all you soon. too, Ron. <laughs> bye Thank bye, you y'all. very much. Bye, bye y'all. you y'all. y'all. Bye bye y'all. Y'all enjoy it, big guys. I don't even know how to turn this thing off. Bye. <laughs>
2: bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you Ron Bloomberg. You know I was just kidding of course. He you know, he did he he wrote the book with Dan Epstein. Dan Epstein. So we have to give Dan Epstein some credit as well. But he really wrote a, a very enjoyable book, The Captain and Me. And just, just talking to him, he's such a delight. And really our next part two, which is of course with Greg Rempe of the Barbecue Central Show. And I, I think everybody that listens to this show knows uh, how we feel about him, how much we appreciate the fact that he's helped with this show. Really, it's really nice because... You know what, Jeff, we may be the only baseball and barbecue podcast, but there are plenty of other barbecue podcasts out there. Greg has chosen to help us. And as he said in the interview, in the first part, in the first part, of course, he mentioned why he chose us to help us and how we, we take what he says and, and we run with it. We use it. Now, in the second part, there is barbecue talk. But there's a nice amount of baseball talk.
3: Yes, he's a uh, big Cleveland guy. Yeah. And his Cleveland Cleveland Indians are no more, actually. And now the Cleveland Guardians. And he will tell you why, what he thinks of the name. So let's get to it with Greg Grampy part two. Let's change the subject and go into baseball.
1: So how, do you like the, the change of the Indians name? I don't care. If it's offensive to somebody, I could give it about a name. All right, so so you're, you're good with the Guardians. I mean, are there 700 better names out there? Sure. <laughs> but, you know, I don't get caught up in names. Okay. So as long as the team is here, then I'm more of a fan of watching the game than worrying about a name. If if you had to tell me you could have a really cool, if you have the coolest baseball name, like the New York Yankees, but in a year we're going to move the team to St. Louis, I would sacrifice the coolest team name in order to keep the team here, so I can watch baseball. So, a lot of people don't understand what the Guardians means. Or I
3: was just going to ask you: Isn't there a bridge that goes? And I, I've never been to Cleveland. Well, oh, actually, I shouldn't say I've been to Cleveland once—quick, quick in and out—but I've really never toured the city. Isn't there a bridge that has a couple of uh, I guess gargoyles yeah. or, or right near that says Guardians of of Cleveland?
1: Yeah, they're the they're the Guardians. Right on either, I don't know what the engineering term is, but the first pillars that come up onto the bridge, they're have they the Guardians. And that's where the team got the name from. So I was certainly no fan of Cleveland Spiders. That was being ballyhooed around. I heard Rockers at some point, but Cleveland already had a Rockers team. It was the WNBA team that was actually pretty good uh, here when it was here before the team folded. So I wasn't a fan of recycling that name. I didn't really have any... Thoughts on it, and all of a sudden it was like, yeah, it's going to be the guardian. So, whatever.
3: How many games do you attend a year? Maybe fifteen. Oh wow. Okay. Is that nice a lot? An, that no, it's that's an amount.
2: Okay. Yeah, it's a decent amount. It's sure. Decent,
1: yeah. When we moved to Cleveland from upstate New York many, many years ago, the company that my dad worked for had seasons tickets to old Cleveland Stadium, so we would go to you know, thirty or forty a year back then. And then when Jacobs Field opened up, now Progressive Field. Uh, same thing carried over. We had seasons tickets there, so I've been to a tremendous amount of Indians games over my lifetime. It's just, except for that, you know, window of excellence, they were really bad.
3: Right. They actually have pretty good last couple of years. I know this year is a down year, still coming in second place, but they made a big trade with with our team, the New York Mets, with, uh, with Lindor, and looks like maybe the Indians got the better of the trade at this point. We'll see. I'm
1: surprised. I got to be honest, Frankie. It was such. A professional and a great hitter and a great gold glove winning fielder. Good with the fans. Everything that he appears to be not in New York, he was in Cleveland. And I think in the end, I don't know if Jose Ramirez was also on the trade block at that point. But keeping him and ditching Frankie ends up being like the best move ever. But it's 2020. Nobody knew. I never would have. I told Len in text messages, thank God, you know, a, a good New York team got him or he's going to flourish. He's great. He's got great defense. He had a down year in the shortened COVID season because, and, and he never really got going, but there had been other seasons where he was a little slow to go, but then by the end he was bashing. So I'm more surprised than anybody that he is floundering out there in New York. And then with the whole addition of, thumbs down on the fans mm-hmm. um, you know I don't really care that much about it but it just doesn't help the whole image you can't suck and then on the fans at the same time
2: right. well, well well you know what they, they got Javi Baez and the two of them are supposed to be good friends but it, it reminds me of you know a, a class where you have to keep the two kids separated and they, they apparently do not play well together where they play well together, but they don't play well with other kids. Yeah. So I don't know what the Mets are going to do because Baez is actually having a pretty decent season. Uh, what is, Jeff, what does he have? Does he have 30 home runs at this he, point? He does, yeah, but, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he doesn't have a great on base and all that, but you know everything's about the long ball these days, which, okay, Greg, what about that? The baseball has veered now towards, and I veered, it's gone directly towards the home run is is more important than anything it seems and everyone's swinging for the fences and you know it, it, it's so common for people to have 20 30 home runs or more what's what's your feeling on that
1: i guess if you want to be in the big leagues you better swing up and get a good exit v that's it yeah well you got to adjust to the game there's i have heard recently there the center fielder for the Indians Miles straw went out openly and said hey i'm not a home run hitter This is the way I'm going to play the game. The guy's a speedster. He knows where his bread and butter is. He's first in the lineup, so he's got to get on base. He can move around really well. He he knows he's not going to be jacking 20, 30 home runs a year, and he's said it. Other guys, I think you're absolutely right. It's swing for the fences every time, and if you do one and you strike out nine times, the one home run evidently offsets nine strikeouts, and you're either... Good with that, which evidently most clubs are. Or you can be like Jeff and sit there and think, Ugh, uh,
3: exactly. Game is going to be <laughs> A lot of a lot of these players think the uh, having a hard hit percentage is is the thing where you know they can hit it hard right to the shortstop and it's an out. I'm saying hit it where they ain't, and you know, who cares how fast the ball is going? You just get
1: on base. I don't think the pitching has gotten that much better over the years. I don't know if uh, maybe overall velo is up, but probably not by that much. I mean, what do you, what do I mean? What were pitchers throwing in the mid eighties and early nineties? I mean, well, were probably, they probably in the nineties, but you
3: know, the pitchers are getting hurt more and more these days and, and they're throwing as hard as they can for as long as they can. And then they get hurt. I'd rather see them, you know, dial it back a little, learn how to actually pitch, 89, 90 miles an hour, with up and down, in and out, and learn how to pitch instead of just throwing as fast as they can for as hard as they can.
2: Yeah, I mean, we as Mets fans... But then again, I'm an old have, coot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, old coot, let me talk. We, 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 of course, don't have DeGrom. You know, he, he went 90 innings, and he's gone for the season. But speaking of being Mets fans, so we know Jeff and I have trades as Mets fans that we are not happy with and the worst trades in our lifetime as a cleveland indian fan there have been many trades that they've made just bartolo cologne cc sabathia uh lindor and carrasco if if i said to you in your lifetime as a fan we're not going back to a hundred years in your lifetime give me the worst trade ever what who would you say
1: god there's so many (laughs) <laughs> I, I think I think Cleveland is the professional AAA team for Major League Baseball. I, the one that really sticks out to me, and maybe he wasn't traded. Maybe it was just a, a free agent signing. Was the year that C- Cliff Lee left and went to the Phillies, and you know Cy Young Award winner gone. CC, I think he was more my guy at that stage. So, but I'll you know also I w- I'm originally a New York Yankees fan, so. I was sad to see him go to the Yankees, but I was also happy to see him go to the Yankees. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I was sad to see him go away from the Indians, but I was happy to see him go to the Yankees. And I mean, look at a, I mean, what a career this guy has. I can only imagine how much better he would have been if he would have had an ounce of motivation to stay in shape through his career. I think he would have been five times better than he was, which is hard to believe. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, no doubt about it. So I would say CeCe, but jeez. You're right. I mean, Lindor. Uh, you forgot Tommy. Albert Bell eventually leaves. I mean, it's uh, all the greats in Cleveland eventually leave. Kenny Lofton left. Yeah, Albert Bay Bell the uh, Bud a Bud Black.
3: And he's. I mean, come on. Albert Bell was a hell of a hitter, and, and so was Jim Tommy, and they were, they were they were really good. They had some really good guys. Uh, you know, I remember one of the best trades, I guess, the Indians made was trading Carlos Baerga
1: to the Mets because he stunk up the joint. <laughs> it's weird how our how our middle infielders turn out to be turds for you guys. Exactly.
3: We we, we trade, uh, the Mets trade Jeff Kent to the Indians and, and get Carlos Baerga and Jeff Kent goes on to a, a hell of a career. And, and, and Carlos Baerga actually ends up playing for the Independently Long Island Ducks where we are. He's playing there now. No, not now. But he he oh, he, he played there for a couple of, for a season or is two. Bartolo Colon still playing. He's trying to get back to the game. He's playing down in Mexico. There's a couple. There's actually commercials on, on him now, of beer and stuff. It was really funny. And Bartolo is great. I'm he a was fan. really great. I love big him. sexy. Oh no <laughs> God, yeah. That what took. a what a just uh, just the nickname
2: alone, big sexy, is is enough. <laughs> Greg, you mentioned CC Sabathia in the Hall of Fame, so and not. When I say this word, C.C. Sabathia, not associated with steroids, but Hall of Fame, if you have a vote, are you putting in any of the ster- known steroid users? Yes. Okay. All of them. So we're talking about Bonds and Clemens. Whoever. And doesn't matter. Yes. Okay. So.
3: All right. Why?
2: No, because?
1: I didn't say. <laughs>
2: oh, <laughs> yes, yes. Why?
1: I get that. You want to chastise them and exclude them from the Hall of Fame because they cheated and all. In the end, this is an entertainment product. They want an edge. They want to stay in it as long as they can. They're doing it for however long they were doing it before they get caught. Are the numbers inflated? Are they out of whack for the folks that didn't do it? I mean, nobody knows how many of these guys were actually juicing versus who got caught and who didn't get caught. Some of the most high-profile guys ended up getting caught. They're out there playing baseball. I don't care if those numbers are... There's no way for me to prove that if they weren't juicing, that they wouldn't have also done about as good if they were... What the hell am I even trying to say now? There's no way for me to prove that if they weren't, that they wouldn't have been close to the numbers that they got as they were.
2: Well, then why did they juice, though?
1: Because it's a competitive edge, because they think they might get over, they might get a, a little bit around uh, on a ball a little bit quicker. They can send it a little bit farther. Does that equate to more home runs? Okay. Does that inflate the home run stance? Okay. I'm going to the game to be entertained. I don't give a rat's ass about 30 years from now when you look at Rafael Palmero or Sammy Sosa or Alex Rodriguez or whoever. Well, he did steroids. Who cares? I want to go to the, I think they should have, right next to the bubble gum, they should have windstraw and human growth, uh, growth hormone. <laughs> Take it all. Get Be like magical hulks out there and do whatever you want to do. If you want to do that to your body, if you're okay with the risks that that can give you as a person, physically and mentally, and you're okay with it, have at it! I want to be entertained. Hit fifty home runs a game for all I care. Steal fifty bases in a game for all I care. I want to see. I want to be entertained. I want scoring. I want home runs. I want fast pitches. And if that means you have to do it artificially, fine. I'm happy to pay for. it.
3: <laughs> That's why I'm the old coot. Yeah, wait, Jeff. What? I'm not going to get into a, a debate. With, with Not a debate. With ge- not guests. a debate.
1: Well, we yeah, we know. So let okay, me you'd... let me debate. Jeff, without him debating, <laughs> Jeff, do you think if what was available to the athletes these days was available to Babe Ruth or Mickey Mantle or Ted Williams or whoever these shoeless Joe Jackson, do you think that they would have just said, oh, no, I'm not going to take that? I have, we have regard no for idea. the game. We have no idea. They're going to take it. <laughs> they want the edge. They want to be the greatest. They didn't have that. They thought getting loaded before the games was giving them an edge. Either that or their life was so bad before they got to be professional They're trying to wipe it out. Of course, any professional athlete is looking for the edge. And they will run the edge. They want to be at the front, at that position for as long as they can. And all of them will teeter on trying to find where legality is. And some of them will just launch right over that legality line knowingly. Because they figure they can get away with it
3: well, until they insane. can't. It's got to be a line drawn. Where where is you know where is the difference between doing it with integrity and doing it with with without integrity? I mean, that's there's a, there's a fine line, I guess. And that's what I'm
1: saying. It's a game. Screw integrity. Just put it all out there, and then those people can do what they want.
2: Greg, you grew up near Saratoga Springs, right? Yes, in Saratoga. Springs. In Saratoga Springs, You're, are you a fan of horse racing? Yeah, okay. Oldest racetrack
1: in the country. Never heard of it.
2: Maybe (laughs) not the same, but steroids in horse racing. What's your feeling on that?
1: I mean, I don't have I don't have an issue
2: with it. So we have we just had Bob Baffert. Okay, go go ahead. I don't want to interrupt. Here's the difference. Mm -hmm.
1: You have you're going to mention the Bob Baffert situation where he's banned from Churchill Downs now for. uh, However long it is, life or, right.
2: well, years or whatever. Supposedly he used steroids and in, in right. uh, I forget the name of the horse. But
1: Here, here's the difference: if Len is a baseball player and he's trying to make it to the majors and he's just shy and he thinks that putting something in his body is going to send him over the edge to get drafted the next year, he's making that choice for himself. The horse is not deciding whether or not he's going to put juice in his body or not. It's a human being. Mm -hmm. So I guess ethically, do I have a problem with a trainer putting something that the horse has no control over what's going in his body? I guess. Yes. Because the horse isn't saying, Hey Bob, let's go. Another shot of windstraw in the hind (laughs) quarter. So I can make this last furlong. Right. Unless it's Mr. Ed. (laughs) Right. Then (laughs) he's Then he's he's been dead for a long time.
2: Now I said I said that it might not have been a uh, a worthy comparison an equal comparison but I am just trying to think of another sport where that you like that uses you know has steroid use yeah. that's all. Yep.
0: Yeah.
3: Okay. What do you, you think's happening with all this gambling in uh, in sports now? I mean I foresee some type of gambling issue coming down some type of
1: scam. like a collusion or teams got together to Knockdown wins because nah, I think maybe some some pathetic. some player might be trying to help out his friends. I'll, I'll
3: strike. Bet bet I'll strike out three times a day. I, I can uh, make that happen. You can win a thousand dollars or something. I can see a, something coming down down the road like that.
1: Oh, by the way, uh, Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame as well. Just open up the floodgates. I mean, look what we're look what we're inviting. If we're going to gamble, you're going to run the risk. Are you okay with that? All right, they are so. Of course, there's absolutely every scenario in the world that great players could sandbag some stats here and there to win themselves a couple extra 10 grand or their buddies or help a friend out who's on the street and needs a couple quick bucks or whatever. We could dream up a number of scenarios.
3: Yeah, I, I, but I can see, you know, it's just, I can see a scandal come down. But be it, baseball I, don't doubt football.
1: it. I don't doubt it. 10 years. Or less, I could absolutely see, yeah. you know, yeah, there be Justice something coming in, going, oh, or the over the nightly news, seventeen teams of Major League Baseball are being called in the court tomorrow because there's this whole big gambling thing going on, and of course the mafioso will be involved as well, making a return back to prominence after being evaporated <laughs> from New York City in the mid '80s. So can't wait for that. Hoping Paul Castellano will make a, a dead cameo appearance in the mob. <laughs>
2: This is not baseball related, but I have this question written down. I got to ask you this. Greg, who plays you in a movie? They're doing the Barbecue Central show movie. Who plays you? What is that guy's name?
1: So uh, there's a guy by the name of his character. The character's name is Sonny on General Hospital. He plays me. If you don't know who he is, I don't know what his real life name is. You probably wouldn't either if you don't watch General Hospital. But I used to watch it in college along with Days of Our Lives where I learned how to eat cream cheese and saltines because the hot chicks did that. So I did it. (laughs) And everybody said I looked a lot like him. He's a great actor. So Google Sonny from General Hospital. And evidently, he has some kind of appearance like I do. That and I've been told Aaron Rodgers looks like me too. And also, (laughs) I'm getting a lot of Kevin Stefanski now, head coach of the Cleveland Browns. So... I would take the actor first and then maybe Kevin Stefanski.
2: You know, it's funny because I mentioned to my wife that we were having you on and that I was mentioned on a show that you watched Days of Our Lives. At it was a soap in college and my wife said, "Oh, General Hospital." I said, "No, Days of Our Lives." Now you watched both, but for some reason at Ohio University mm-hmm. Days of Our Lives was the soap oh, when funny. I was there, when yes. you were there.
1: Yes. I have no idea. Why? All I know is if the hot chicks did it, I'm following. Whatever. At and they point, ate cream cheese. Yes. They
2: ate cream cheese and saltines. Now, was it Not on smoked a smoker. cream cheese? Not on a
1: smoker. No way. It was dumped <laughs> right out of the aluminum foil on a plastic plate. And then the sleeve of saltines was ripped open. And I was like, what are these broads doing? And they were just, <laughs> I was like, well, okay. I guess I'm going to get in onto that too. Maybe they'll like me a little bit more. Didn't happen, but I tried. And I developed an affinity for plain cream cheese and saltine. All right, getting back to to the uh, barbecue central show, I,
3: I know you have uh, embedded correspondence. I, I know uh, not all the same. Sometimes they, they switch them up. I know it's Stevie Stevie Ray was it? Mm-hmm. Steve, no, more. Was, was no more. Yeah, there was no more. There right. was Stevie Ray. Steve, right? Yeah, he he, he, he wasn't. He he quit. Yeah. And but yeah, he had someone else come in. So it's a. A stable of of four or five guys who come in and and I shouldn't say just guys, guys and girls who who come on the show. We know Doug Meathead. Who are the other correspondents? Well, Meathead's not a correspondent. I'm sorry, Jeff,
2: but I'm I'm a fan. And I got to I got to say Meathead.
1: I know is is on
3: monthly. I know he's on monthly. Monthly. So
1: the correspondence. We have a couple of different things going on here, Jeff. Yeah, you're 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 melding recurring guests (laughs) and embedded (laughs) correspondents. Okay. So recurring guests would get you Malcolm Reed on the first Tuesday of every month in the first hour and Sam the Cooking Guy in the second hour. The second Tuesday of the month, Meathead in that first hour. Third Tuesday of the month will get you a visit from Stephen Reichlin and will also get you a visit from, depending on which quarter it is, Daniel Vaughn, Susie Bullock from Hey Grill Hay, Jess Pryles of Hardcore Carnivore or jesspryles.com. And then And the fourth Tuesday, you get a visit from Derek Riches, who's a barbecue journalist. And then in the second hour, the embedded correspondents, who happen to be Doug Scheiding from Texas, longest running embedded correspondent of the show. John Solberg from Michigan, who's also the executive producer of The Best Moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 Minutes or Less, which is released every Friday in the podcast feed. And the latest, but now firmly in the mixed, embedded correspondent from the great city of Utah. Rusty Monson, who is also a pit master of his own competition team, so that's the whole scope of recurring guests and embedded correspondence. Thank you for clearing that up. I obviously
3: uh, I mix them up, and, and it's a uh, lot
1: to take in, Jeff. I know.
3: <laughs> yeah, and, and Jeff, come
2: on. I mean, this is my I'm I'm auditioning. Greg never misses a show, but I know, and he's mentioned it that there's going to be a time he's going to need a substitute for that rare time and this is I, i'm gonna look at this as my audition so don't mess <laughs> it up for me
3: come okay. on all right
1: but have a new york embedded correspondent in the office that's what i think
3: <laughs> you know yeah, len know. likes it len likes to bring this up a lot about new york barbecue he said we don't have a an a, our type of barbecue i mean there's memphis there's texas there's kansas city new york is not a barbecue capital but right. we have a lot of
1: barbecue restaurants i mean there's there's a lot yeah there's really good barbecue in new york city no doubt but it doesn't have its own barbecue restaurants in the country is in brooklyn mm -hmm, hometown barbecue billy durney runs it it's widely revered as some of the best barbecue in the country uh by the way cleveland not a barbecue region not a barbecue mecca no kidding but we have a very small handful of really good barbecue restaurants there's only the Carolinas and Texas and Kansas City and Memphis as regions of barbecue. Maybe you can throw in like that Northern California thing for tri-tip if you're doing it over the Red Oak on the Santa Maria-style grill with the Pinkito beans or whatever the hell you call them. But I don't even think that really qualifies as a region. So if you're not within those four meccas, you're just in another state that may or may not have good barbecue,
2: which is fine one show, I did a rant. So most of the times, Jeff does the rant, they're baseball related. It's kind of it's hard to, to do barbecue rants. And I let Jeff do the baseball rants. But I did a rant on all these podcasts that use barbecue in their name. And I, I went through a long list. And you listen to all these shows, and there's not a single mention of barbecue. I don't dwell on it. It's not something that I I lose sleep over at night. But what's your thought on that? Why is it that all these shows, these podcasts have barbecue in the name? If I'm looking for a podcast with barbecue and I go to that podcast and they don't mention it, why is barbecue become like a universal
1: word for almost like talk? I think it's just popular. You put in barbecue or BBQ in a title, you get SEO. It's a search term. Maybe your podcast comes up and you might gain a few extra listeners than if you really called the show more what it was actually covering. I had a big problem with Sean's uh, Sean Walch's first show. Uh, it was a uh, barbecue war stories behind behind the smoke barbecue war stories had nothing to do with barbecue. He was only a, a business podcast. Him and his co host would really just talk about. I mean, he had fubu boots on and you know a bunch of other stuff. And I was always like, well, how does Sean get lumped into The barbecue realm, he never talks about barbecue, other than owning a barbecue restaurant and the other co-host owning a butcher shop. This guy's never talked about barbecue, or hardly ever. So I always held a bit of umbrage with Sean, specifically on how he was getting over in the barbecue community, but never talking about barbecue. But then he got out of that, and now we're all fine. But I think it's just a a quick, it's it's a hot-button term. Like I said, it's never been more popular, so you drop it in a title and maybe get a little bit more exposure you can talk about what you really want to talk about and hope people get over the title at some point.
2: And Greg, we've, we've had you on a long time We're we're respectful of your time. I I'm sorry, but I've got to ask you this heard on one show. You mentioned that you have trust issues. You mentioned people that you would trust. I I was not included in that, but that's okay. What is (laughs) (laughs) there's that witty banter that you just love about this show. Why do you have trust issues? I mean, do I need to go all Sigmund Freud on you?
1: (laughs) No, it's my trust issues are with my show. And it's simply because over the lifespan of it, it's been me. If I would have had, if I would have started with a Jeff, it would be different. I could at least trust one more person. Or as the show grew, we would be experiencing it together. We would constantly be redefining our expectations. We would constantly be redefining our goals and where we would want the show to head. And I would have an extra person along for the ride. But that was never like that. It always has been me. As I've grown technology and as I've grown production and engineering, it's still only me. It would be really tough for me to sit there. Sean is the one that asked me, Well, don't you have a team? Of people, or, or you know, people that you could trust. Am I going to ask Doug, Doug, take over my Instagram account and you know, whittle down three pieces of content for me over the next thirty-three days, so I have ninety-nine pieces of TikTok content? Uh, I'm not going to ask John to do that. I'm not going to ask Rusty to do it. Would I trust them to do it? Yeah, of course. But I'm not going to ask them to do it. So who does that come to? Well, now it comes to me because I wouldn't trust anybody else, even if I paid somebody. I wouldn't trust somebody to do it the way that I would do it. So then it comes down to this. Do I feel like I want to put in the time to do it? Because I know I'll do it right. And then the answer is yes or no. And if the answer is yes, I'll do it. And if the answer is no, I won't do it. Which is why I'm not doing the TikTok thing that Sean wanted me to do. I believe in it. I will not delegate that to anybody. Because I'm not going to have anybody. Let me let me be. Ah, this is great. Let me live in hypocrisy, which is the favorite place where I love to live. John puts together my best of show. He does it all. He talks it up. He finds the clips. He edits it. All that. It was very, very difficult in the beginning for me to swallow all of my words and let him do his thing. And I trusted him explicitly in the beginning. Now because I was able to learn from that experience and because I trusted John, his show was great. He's coming up on 194 episodes or 195 episodes, whatever it is. It's probably like the third or fourth longest running barbecue-related podcast that's out there now. I have like two of the five longest running barbecue podcasts. That was a great learning experience for me, but that's hard for me. So to sit there and say, I could find another relationship that I have, like I have with John that I could turn other social media stuff over to, I can. I'm not going to lie to somebody and say that I can. So I'm just going to tell you, no, at this point, the answer is no. And because I need to have full control over it because I know what I want and I know what my production is like and I know what my sound is like. And I know. I know everything I like because it's only been me since the beginning. Mm-hmm. That's tough for me because yeah. I can't delegate because it's uh, because I'm the problem. So I either have to work on that or be okay with whatever I get from being a maniac. And at the moment I'm okay with being a maniac.
2: We're glad you are. Um, You do two hours a week live. He does it live. And it is an incredible, it really is. It's an incredible show. I've said it so many times on this show without you being on, it is the, it's what we all aspire to be. At least, let's put it this way a podcast should aspire to be what your show is. I don't think that because of what you do and that the fact that you do it live every week, two hours, I don't think anyone will ever get to that. But it's nice to have something to reach for. And having you on is just fantastic
3: so. and, and Greg, just make just make ahead. a check out to, to lenny from <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: look i'm humbled uh, by your words, glenn and i'm very appreciative and no, i'm it's, you know it's uh i i do it because i like it
0: mm-hmm. number
1: one and number two and everything else is, is number three or after that if i didn't like it the, the show would be over long ago
3: and you're on YouTube yeah, you said you're on the Apple podcast all the podcasting platforms yeah. there, there's uh, another one i know you do a, a video on another one i just come just facebook
1: live so uh, tuesday's the live video feeds are on facebook youtube and twitch twitch that's there's the one also I was an about. Okay. audio just a, just an audio stream which I, again i say is the best way to listen to it tuesday's live is just to listen to the audio don't watch it. Mm-hmm. and then a podcast platform it's on everything just search yeah. bbq central show mm-hmm. and it'll show up In fact, you'll be happy to know the show is on Amazon Music, whatever the hell that is. If you have a smart speaker, like an Alexa speaker in your house, all you have to do is say, Alexa, play the podcast, The Barbecue Central Show. And magically, the most recent episode will start playing on Alexa. How about that?
3: How about that? Isn't technology wonderful?
1: Yes.
2: Believe it or not, we have the same thing baseball and BBQ. Also ask Alexa to play it and it plays it. So we have that in common, Greg.
1: (laughs) I think my Alexa speaker just picked me up saying that, and now it's playing off in the distance. I can hear it. Oh, how unprofessional.
2: (laughs) Because they're watching you. That's a whole nother topic for a whole nother time, but they're listening. They're listening, Greg.
1: I'm padding my downloads, guys. Just a little pro tip right there. Get Alexa (laughs) to play your own show.
2: Greg, thank you very much for spending your Friday evening with us. I don't know what that says. It either says you're very dedicated, or you just need to get a life. We we we're not sure at this. I'm 25. going with the
1: latter myself, but we'll <laughs> leave that up for debate. But we we
2: greatly appreciate it, and uh, thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Len and Jeff. It was
3: thank
2: my you. pleasure.
1: So
3: thank you, Greg Rempe. You know, Len, he he really doesn't care for the name. He doesn't care what the name is actually. No, (laughs) he doesn't really care.
2: Yeah, you know what's he? He doesn't, he's got no issues saying what he feels, and it's great because he really, with him, it you know that when he's saying it, he means it, and and that's great. Enjoyable second half. He knows his baseball,
3: he really does. Yes, he does. And we thank Greg for joining us, Len. We're coming back next week. I love it. I love that
2: we're doing this now weekly. It's, for the foreseeable you know, future. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Subject to change. But for now, we are weekly. And we hope that everybody's keeping up with the episodes because it's a lot more to listen to now in a lot quicker time. A, a lot, you know, we've got a, a fast turnaround. Right. right? We're, we're happy to be with you guys. Thank you. So, Ron Bloomberg. Greg Rempe episode 107 as Howie Rose Mets announcer would say, put it in the books and we'll see you next time. How are we ending it with the poet Shel Krakowski, the musician Dave dresser and the beautiful song baseball always brings you home. See you, see you next, next time.